Well, the snow is about to start flying here this time of year, and if you're anything like me, that means time to hang the bikes, pack up the jean shorts, and clean up the yard for the long winter hibernation. Fortunately, there is relief from dreary winter woes. Paper Blossoms by Mikkel are always in season. Paper Blossoms by Mikkel are custom arrangements handmade to order any time of year. Each bouquet is unique, competitively priced, and best of all, no green thumb required. If you're looking for that original gift for someone special or something to brighten the living room, check them out at Facebook at facebook.com slash paperblossomsbymikkel. That's paperblossomsbymikkel, M-I-C-H-A-L. And remember, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. That's right, Paul. And if you're interested in winning a free bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by Mikkel, then we have an amazing contest for you. Beginning on December 17th, go to iTunes to Dating Ourselves Podcast and give us a five-star review and leave us some nice words. Once you do that, you'll automatically be entered into the contest. On January 17th, we will pick three winners out of a hat, and those winners will each receive a custom-made bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by Mikkel. And let me tell you, as an 80s, 90s, or early 2000s fan, the opportunity to win one of these three bouquets will be amazing. So again, to enter the contest, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you'd like to order your own Paper Blossom by Mikkel, visit facebook.com slash paperblossomsbymikkel. That's M-I-C-H-A-L. Welcome back to the past. This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hey, guys. So, here we are at episode six, The Richest Armageddon in Darkness. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you missed last week, we talked about Spawn action figures, the classic cult film Mars Attacks, and Brian's favorite show ever, from which he can't remember his own favorite episode, <laughs> The X-Files. Yeah. It was the one with the guy in the woods, right? It's, it's <laughs> Dwayne Barry. You guys can both bite my butt cheeks. <laughs> anyway, we've covered topics on this show ranging from Batman to The Simpsons. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, um, I want to remind everyone that you can submit those topics on our website at www.datingourselvespodcast.com or send us an email at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got mail. Yes, we do. (laughs) I'm pretty excited for this week's episode as we're finally covering some metal with the darkness. We have the 94 Macaulay Culkin classic Richie Rich and the highest grossing movie of 1998, Michael Bay's Blues Brothers in Space. (laughs) Do you mean Armageddon? I don't think it was that bad. (laughs) No, no. The movie was Armageddon. That's what it was called. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yep. I'm tracking now. Sorry. Uh, Brian, you want to kick us off with some glam metal goodness? Touching you. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. I'll sing it. That deserves a golf clap. (laughs) All right. um, So we are talking about... Weirdly enough, actually one of my favorite bands, The Darkness, and not even in an ironic way. Um, (laughs) So, The Darkness, they are an English rock band. They are still together. They formed in 2000. 
the year 2000, like, uh, you know, that Y2K thing. Um, In the year 2000. Exactly. Um, Is that still a thing? I mean, it's 2017 now. I guess technically it's 2018 at the time this is released, but we're talking in the future, folks. Um, (laughs) So um, many people would probably consider The Darkness to be uh, a one-hit wonder. Their biggest hit by far and away was a song called I Believe in a Thing Called Love. But to me, uh, they actually had a lot of really good music, and we're going to kind of get into some of that in a little bit. You were going to say something, Adam? I was just agreeing with you. They definitely had a lot of great music. Thank I know you. other songs by them. I never realized that was by the darkness, but now that you say that, holy crap, I can't believe I never put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, their very first album, which was the one that had, I believe, in a thing called Love, was called Permission to Land. Uh, it was released July 7, 2003. The lineup was made up of two brothers, so Justin Hawkins, which is the falsetto singing vocalist, He uh, was also the lead and rhythm guitar player and handled all the synth and piano stuff. Uh, His brother, Dan Hawkins, was the rhythm and lead guitar player. There was also uh, Frankie Polane, who was the bassist, and Ed Graham played the drums. The first album really has kind of an ACDC sort of Thin Lizzy kind of classic rock sort of sound. Very, very riff driven. Mm-hmm. And there are some great songs on that album. I mean, obviously, we've already talked about it a couple times, but I believe in a thing called Love was on that album. Mm-hmm. Hold My Own was a really great, like, ballady type song. Yeah. Gr- Growing on Me, Get Your Hands Off of My Woman. Um, I love the. I'm starting uh, to realize a theme here. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of double entendre in their music for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, Growing on Me is kind of about a, like a relationship obsession it's kind of also about crabs uh not the the ones you can get in maryland right right exactly yeah we're not we're not talking about uh clancy brown the kurgan and uh, mr crabs over here Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) and then hold my own as you can hear is kind of a double entendre as well which i don't think i need to explain to any male over the age of like 14 um (laughs) Um, yeah, so do you guys have any takeaways with this this first album, Permission to Land? Any any memorable memories, if, if there are any other type of memories, I suppose? I mean, just the album itself is unbelievable. Um, so many good tracks on it, and Justin's voice was so unique uh, in that era. There wasn't a lot of guys who sang that, you know, Freddie Mercury-esque falsetto right, uh, voice. Right. Uh, during that time and then uh, I'm trying to remember I I believe it was on that album the song given up that's on that uh, album correct I think so yeah I think so yeah that that is a great song it's a uh, it's just got a great riff like it reminds me again of kind of like an old 1970s yeah uh, yeah there it is number six on the album um, yeah, I was just looking just it up too. <laughs> it's got a great opening riff uh, with the guitar. Sounds very like classic rock, and then it's just such a catchy song and stuff like that. Uh, and, until you listen to the actual lyrics and you uh, realize it's about uh, doing heroin. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you take the good with the bad, right? <laughs> well, that's something we'll definitely get into in a little bit as well, um, because heroin. For- 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> if you guys didn't know, it was the Heroin <laughs> Weekly podcast. Uh, we, we are going to experiment with it for the first time ever this week. <laughs> Live on air. Yeah, it should be interesting. <laughs> we'll see you in three days. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so much to edit. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, we will be talking a little bit about uh, Justin's. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His uh, addiction problems. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's the less I was to say proclivity or something like that oh, towards yeah. uh, the party life. But yeah, he he, he was addicted yeah. to a, to a lot of substances, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before he departed the band to go do rehab and all of those things to kind of get his life a little bit more in order, so there was Permission to Land released in 2003, and in my opinion. The infinitely better album, One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, which is a stupid name, but the music on the album is absolutely fantastic, was released uh, November 28, 2005. Uh, The album itself was produced by a guy named Roy Thomas Baker, uh, a little known guy. He worked with some bands. Stop me when you've heard of some of these. Um, Queen, Nazareth, Journey. The Cars, Smashing Pumpkins, Alice Cooper, Local H, Cheap Trick, Foreigner, Heavy Metal, the Ooh, movie I know soundtrack. That one. Oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's a big fan of head games, in case you didn't know. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and Aqua Teen Hunger Force with the Foreigner belt. Uh, <laughs> um, also, the Heavy Metal movie soundtrack and the Michael Bay Transformers movie soundtrack. So the guys, so he's he's got a pretty good uh, lineage there of musicians he worked with, is what you're telling. The us. best of rap sheets, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So, like I mentioned, the album was released in 2005. There are some really great songs on the album, and as you can imagine, having worked with bands like Queen and. Uh, well, mostly Queen. Queen's kind of the most notable one. That's something you can really hear in the songwriting and the production of this album. As Adam kind of mentioned, Justin has a very wide range, a lot of falsetto register. But for most of uh, Permission to Land, there is maybe one main vocal line, maybe a vocal line and a harmony. On One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, it was very reminiscent of Queen, where there might be a wall of like eight to ten harmonies all going on at one time. Um, yeah. And there were songs that were like Hazel Eyes, Is It Just Me, that were very much like a pop rock kind of sound. There was the one I was way- just going to say, wasn't Is It Just Me, wasn't that the song that everybody had as like their cover song on MySpace where you could pin the t- song at the top? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I feel like was. that was how I first actually encountered them was, I. it was MySpace, right? Am I forgetting which social no, media right. we yeah. used back then where you could pin like listening to or your favorite song. And I feel like there was like a solid point in time where that song was just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that song was released as the single off the album. Mm-hmm. Hazel Eyes uh, was a big hit as well, just because... Um, it kind of has that cool, like, Celtic-type feel to it. There's a lot of interesting melody choices they made there. Um, but then you mm-hmm. had songs like One Way Ticket and Bald that were, like, super, super heavy. Mm-hmm. And then you had English Country Garden and Blind Man, which very much have a queen feel to it. Very artistic, almost musical theater meets opera meets rock type of expression. And then probably one of my top 10, like legitimately one of my top 10 favorite songs by any artist of all time 
is seemed like a good idea at the time off of that album and it's a it's a Mm -hmm. ballad about um you know poor choices made in a relationship and stuff like that but the registers that he chooses to sing in the orchestration in the back there's like string section and piano and stuff it's very well produced very well written if nobody has heard anything by the darkness other than i believe in a thing called love i would really recommend listening to one way ticket to hell and back Mm-hmm. before listening to Permission to Land, or even entirely over Permission to Land. Not that that's a bad album by any means. I think it's fantastic, but uh, musically, it's so much more mature. And But speaking of oh, immature, yeah. um, the <laughs> I Believe in a Thing Called Love music video. Do you guys remember that? I do, yes. It's pretty epic. <laughs> so, I don't. <laughs> for, for those not familiar, Adam, did you want to kind of provide a little bit of a brief synopsis of the video, or...? Uh, well, what I can remember from it, it's a lot of like him at a party or, or kind of like a big, uh, kind of like futuristic mansion kind of deal, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and it's almost he, like he's, Starship Enterprise or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the part, I, I just always remember from that music video, because the first time I ever saw it, I actually only saw it as a... Like, I only saw this particular clip, like literally just a like two or three second clip of him uh, yelling the word guitar, and then a guitar just falls out of the ceiling and he starts playing this amazing <laughs> solo. And I remember the first time I saw that, I just burst out laughing. <laughs> but when I saw it in the context of the music video, it made a lot more sense. It was still pretty amazing, but just hearing somebody yell, guitar, and then have him like play this epic solo. <laughs> well, Well, Paul, if you've not seen it yet, I would really recommend once we uh, stop recording to check it out as one b movie lover to another. I mean, it's fantastic. like there's a part where they get attacked by a giant alien that's basically a muppet. <laughs> uh, it's 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 really, really great. As far as TRL goes, would this be broadcast at the end of TRL, or was this like your late-night metal videos that you had to stay up past Beavis and Butthead to see? Like Headbangers Ball type stuff? Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably not Probably not that late. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, the stuff they were playing on Headbangers Ball. I, I'd say it was probably on TRL at some point. I want to say, I'd have to look this up, but I want to say that in the UK, either this album or the single i believe in the thing called love was like number two on the charts uh mm-hmm. so i mean it was very very critically successful especially on you know the other side of the pond but <laughs> <laughs> i have a terrible accent for all accents other than michigan <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, i want to hear your michigan accent <laughs> yeah, yeah here it is <laughs> Unless I try, wow, and do a newscaster so accent. Yeah, unless I try and talk like my mom, and then I talk like my mom and talk about the <laughs> snow and the bears and uh, <laughs> scooping my snow Rasslin. and wrestling. Oh, and a pillow. You know, put your head on P- when you go to sleep. Pillow. Yeah, pillow. And a glass of milk. <laughs> uh, drink your pop. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so the darkness. I. Like I said, I'm kind of a fanboy, so I kind of talked about them in kind of a rosy-tinted view. Do you guys have a more down-to-earth, what the average person in 2000 to 2005 probably thought of the darkness? Did you just consider me average? (laughs) This this might be the greatest honor of my life right here. You're always in my bell curve, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like... I, I think, unfortunately, most people just knew the darkness for 
I believe in a thing called love. And so, you know, there's kind of that, that novelty behind the song, but um, unfortunately I don't think unless you are like a real music lover, like Brian and myself and some of our friends back at the time, I didn't know too many people that listened to it or listened to them uh, sure. that often. But it's a shame because they really are an amazing band and the especially like you said the intricate nature of one way ticket to hell and back i i remember the first time i ever heard hazel eyes i was actually at your dorm room brian and you said dude you got to check out this song and you played it for me i just remember you know my jaw dropped instantly i I could not believe just the, like you said, like that wall of sound yeah. of the, the layers of his harmonies and stuff were just unbelievable. Um, so it's really unfortunate that most people only know them just because of that novelty song that they had, which is still a good song by by all means. I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think most people ever saw them as much more than just that one song. Right, right. Yeah, I only know them from I, – I, if you had asked – if we had talked about this last week and you'd said name a song, I would have said, is it just me? I, I honestly oh, wow. didn't realize that the other song was um, related. I, it totally makes sense. It clicks. I, you know, I hear it now. But I, I, I just knew what was big periodically. And for whatever reason, for whatever I was listening to, I just remember that song being around. And like I said, I really think it was popular on MySpace. And that's where I came into contact with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, if you guys can imagine 15 years ago, I... I did this song, like I sang, I believe, in a thing called Love at a Talent Show or something like that. I remember that, Um, yeah. And I I actually won the talent show that year. 15 years ago, I had a much better voice than I do now. But um, (laughs) it was... uh, (laughs) And hair. Yeah, oh, I had a lot of hair, man. I had like a lion mane. Um, (laughs) It was was beautiful. It was a glorious mane of hair. Yeah, so going back to kind of the darkness and their uh, story, in 2006, like I mentioned... Justin Hawkins left the band for rehab, so he had a lot of uh, proclivities, that was the word we were going to use, towards um, really heavy drug use, drinking, and so he wanted to get cleaned up. So the remaining members of the band created a band called Stone Gods, which I've not heard before, but from what I've heard about them, it sounds like they're pretty straight up like classic rock reboot. So, I mean, pretty cool stuff. I'm probably going to have to check it out. Um, and then Hawkins started a band called Hot Leg, which I've also not heard. Um, <laughs> but I did hear his solo album, which I thought was really good. And apparently a lot of folks did. The One of the big singles off of that was a song called Music Again, which actually got recorded by another Queen enthusiast, uh, Mr. Adam Lambert. So, oh, nice. um, so yeah, if you've ever heard Adam Lambert's first album, that very first song that Sounds like this sounds like the darkness. It's because Justin oh, Hawkins wrote that's it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that song. Like it's got the super, super high notes in it. Yeah. That's uh that's why. So in 2011, the band reunited. That's uh way past our time frame. And in my opinion, the music since they've reunited has just not been as good. I th- I think those first two albums and a lot of uh, Justin's solo work are, are really pretty impressive. But like the album Hot Cakes, uh, which was, I think, their first <laughs> album after they reunited, it was okay. It was okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was great. Um, 
One last thing I kind of wanted to touch on before we uh, move on to our next topic, though, and I think this may also be part of why no other song, like why they never got more popular than they did, was probably the way they chose to present themselves, their their appearance. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, how so? Because I'm not familiar. Okay. Well, I mean, basically, they really wanted to live out that classic rock look. So Justin Hawkins, for example, was probably 110 pounds wearing uh, typically some type of cat print leotard, maybe cheetah, maybe, you know, tiger, whatever. And he had a flame tattoo right at the top of the leotard going down into his leotard, you know. As one of those so cocaine and Aquanet is what we're talking here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these guys very much looked like Def Leppard threw up on the stage. They, they would have been very at home in the 80s, but they were a little Absolutely. Off place I think that the... may be part of why <laughs> everyone kind of took them as a joke as opposed to taking them as like a fun musical experience. They're like, there's no way these guys can be serious. Right. So they missed their window because that's all the rage right now. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well... They are back now. I needed to give their new music a better shot, but from what I had heard, I wasn't terribly impressed. But I, I definitely think I need to go back and and see if that's uh, if that was just my my bias to their their previous albums. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's about all I had for the darkness. Related to the darkness, if a giant meteor is coming towards Earth, you may not be able to see much light. Um, you may be in darkness. So um, Paul is going to tell us all about the movie that kind of was the pinnacle of disaster movies, uh, Armageddon. See, I, I, I agree with you. It was the pinnacle. I was going to say it was the point at which we jumped the shark with disaster movies. I would because agree if we with rewi- that. If we rewind back to 96, we had Twister, and you could almost throw Independence Day in there as well, while not a traditional disaster movie. It had that feel of squishing cities and, you know, absolute chaos and pandemonium, and the whole earth was in danger. And then Independence mm-hmm. Day 2 was a box office disaster movie, so... Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry. Go on, Paul. <laughs> So you go from there, and then you know on its uh, on the coattails of Twister, then we had Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. We had the in, and then immediately following, it felt like this is where the war started with disaster movies. So we have Volcano. So now we need Dante's Peak, and then the following year we had Deep Impact, which was a movie with Morgan Freeman about a meteor that was about to hit Earth. And they were assembling a team of scientists in order to destroy it. And it was discovered by a kid um, that got to name it, yada, yada, yada. I say that because immediately following that, three months later, comes Armageddon, which is a movie about a massive asteroid that is going to strike Earth. And it will wipe out life as we know it, unless a ragteam group of oil drillers can explode it. (laughs) Space cowboys. (laughs) Space cowboys. Yeehaw! Um, the rumor is, is that the guy, his last name is Ruben. I'm forgetting his first name, but the guy that wrote Deep Impact says that an executive from Disney was at the luncheon where he was describing the script. And then he went and assembled his own team to make a counter movie. And that's where Armageddon came from. Mm, little corporate espionage. 
Yeah. And uh, the only I don't know if that's true or not. It's conjecture, but I will say the screenplay is credited to five people, and that would lend truth to that. Oh crap! We need to write a movie in a hurry. If you have five people writing one script, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, among the writers was a J.J. Abrams. Really? Really? I had no idea. Yep. And that's a little known fact. He's he's credited, but he's not the primary screenplay author. Oh. So he's been doing space epic movies for a couple decades now. Oh, yeah. That's pretty sweet. I will say Armageddon is a classic disaster movie, but it kind of borrows some other formulas. That's why I, I, earlier I referred to it as Blues Brothers in Space. The, <laughs> and the reason I say that is because it has an all-star cast. It has Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Ben Affleck, um, Steve Buscemi, Keith David, who if you don't know who Keith David is, look of a picture of him, you know him. And if you don't recognize him, you know his voice from every PBS documentary not narrated by Stacey Keach or Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the go-tos, huh? Those are the go-tos. <laughs> So the, with the meteor coming in, they realize they have to destroy it. And they, in order to blow it up, they're going to have to explode it from within inside. Some geek at NASA says, okay, we need to assemble a team of oil drillers that are experienced with drilling in strange, bad conditions. And they go to Bruce Willis, who then assembles a team of the least heroic people in history. Um, <laughs> they are the Justice League or a Avengers of blowing up space asteroids. Uh, they are the Avengers of gambling, drinking, and all types of ill. <laughs> um, and they have a great uh, sequence in which he goes to assemble and offer all the people positions on his team. And that's where I say it's like Blues Brothers in space. Um, because he had, they have to get everybody together, they have to get them on the same page, and then they have to come together as a team in order to complete their mission. I'm not going to go too much more into plot than that because I got to believe almost everybody listening has seen it. If you haven't, you don't want to miss a thing. Basically you you don't want to miss a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Since you brought that up, do you want to talk about Liv Tyler's connection to the movie? Because you are one of our music experts. Can we? Yes, let's do it. Because I think the song, I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith is for the most part, for a, a rock ballad, a, a very good song. It's very catchy. It's very heartfelt. One of the weird things about it is that Liv Tyler, the, the main love interest, basically, in the movie. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Yes. The yes, main yep. love interest in the movie is lead singer Steven Tyler's daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of weird. <laughs> a little bit that's about all i have to really say about the song i mean I, I remember really liking it when it came out and i remember it the song itself came out about the same time is that edwin mccain i'll be song and those two songs they play them back to back on the radio all the time i was like oh this is amazing and it's kind of by embar- 99 i i felt the same way as i did about will smith's men in black i absolutely hated it because it got way too much radio playtime yeah yes it yeah. did and well, frankly i br- blame disney because it was a disney backed production it was distributed through another production company but disney was the marketing machine behind it and i really think that that's why it was the mouse money that kept that song in our earbuds for you know, three years. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Back in the old Michael Eisner era, um, 
Disney's so yep. different now. It's it's very interesting. But uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with that that assessment as well. It's kind of embarrassing to think about the type of music and movies and things and how common these things were back then. To admit mm-hmm. that you like them sort of now. Faded away. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I love disaster movies and things that remind me of American Pie. And it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> okay. Cringe, cringe, cringe. Uh, <laughs> I will say that Armageddon is the least scientifically accurate of all the disaster movies besides maybe Volcano. I could see you arguing that point. But if you looked at Deep Impact, everything, because it was basically the same plot, but everything was science-driven and math-driven, and here's how we're going to do this, here's how we're going to get away with it, and then you go to Armageddon with Michael Bay, and it's like, they're going to crash on an asteroid, and the spaceship wreckage is going to be burning in the vacuum of space. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, If I'm not incorrect on this, I think that NASA actually shows people that work for NASA this movie and they have to list all the inaccuracies of this movie. And it's apparently a pretty substantial list, but it shows what they actually know about space. So if they know that uh, your shuttle wouldn't burn in the vacuum of space, that means they know something. Yeah. Memorable moments from it. I lo- There's a scene with a crazed Russian cosmonaut. He's crazed because he's been living on uh, space. He was, was it Mir? I think it was Mir, which is a space station that yep. crashed a few years ago for yep. those under yep. 30. Um, it was, it was the Russian equivalent of the International Space Station. And they had to dock there in order to refuel. And there was a cosmonaut that had been in space for a year by himself. I can't remember who played him, but he was a great what, comic relief. Wasn't it uh, Peter Stormare? Or was it's yes. it might have been okay. I think you're correct. Um, you guys got any memorable moments or favorite scenes? I mean, the only thing I can really remember from the movie because it's been so long since I've seen it is how the asteroid looked, and I remember it looking just awesome. Like it's all these like kind of purplish green crystals and stuff all over the place, and then I remember the. I don't even know what they called the thing, but it's like their tank with the drill bit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that being really badass too. Kind of reminded me of like Exo Squad or something like that. It was really cool. <laughs> I don't have any specific yeah, memories. That's a throwback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any like specific memories of like the plot or anything like that. Um, I I just remember liking uh, Steve Buscemi in this movie. Like, there's that kind of memorable scene at the end where I think he uh, heroically sacrifices himself to stay on the asteroid. Sorry, spoiler alerts. I know it's been 20 years. It was Bruce Willis that stayed on the asteroid. Oh, okay, you're right. Uh, But there was something with Steve Buscemi where uh, they thought they were going to all be staying on or something like that, and Steve Buscemi pulls out a pair of sunglasses as he's looking down on the earth and he's like talking about having a front row seat to the end of the world world or something like that. And then he gets on top of the bomb in a Dr. Strange love style (laughs) and uh, starts riding it like a pony uh, at your local grocery store. I was going to to say Meyer, but I realized that was way too regional specific. We we talked about Ole Taco before. We can talk about Meyer. (laughs) It's only a penny at Meyer. That's true. Is it still? (laughs) I've I've not. Yeah. Sandy the horse is only a penny at Meyer. 
Nice. And it's technically free because if you're a sad child, they'll just give you a penny at the cash <laughs> register. To, to be fair for our listeners, Paul does have kids, so it's not as weird as it sounds. <laughs> Thank <true>. you. <laughs> but hey, we could always, uh, next time we're all in town together at the same time, we could go uh, ride the horse together and be the three amigos. <laughs> Sounds that- like it could be a great album cover. <laughs> That, that could be our profile picture on the uh, Dating Ourselves page. <laughs> now, now, going back to Steve Buscemi, have you guys seen the series of pictures online where people have photoshopped out the eyes of other people and replaced them with Steve Buscemi's eyes? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's, yes, that's amazing. It's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, he 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 really does have some very strange eyes, but at least it gives him a very unique look that that's pretty recognizable instantaneously. Oh, definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. You're you're not going to confuse him with the uh, Chris, uh, what is it, quadrilogy or quintilogy or whatever it is, the five famous Chris's. Oh, <laughs> I, I apparently am out of the loop. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, like. Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth, uh, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Chris... Yeah. Gotcha. There's like yeah. five of them that are all leading uh, men that all look pretty much exactly alike. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sounds like someone reads People magazine. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is possible. I did I did buy him a subscription for, for Christmas last year, so that, that makes sense. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to tell him that either. <laughs> oh, you were the one that now did you that. Know. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I would have been doing without all those great quizzes that People offers. <laughs> and you always score Are you so the one high. that keeps sending me TV Guide? Yes, I am. Guilty as charged. <laughs> did, did you get it in Spanish like I sent it, though? Yes, I thought that was odd, but the um, the Spanish version of Breaking Bad was actually fairly entertaining. I loved Senor Blanco. Yes, uh, me- what is it? Metastasis. That is a, actually quite the interesting show. We just jumped way too many decades in the future, so I'm going to roll us back to 1998, July right. 1st to be exact. Um, final thoughts on Armageddon. The ending of the movie was, uh, I thought fairly predictable in that they had to, someone had to sacrifice themselves in order to save the world, which is also a comp out from deep impact, which did the exact same thing. Um, but (laughs) Armageddon had to add a Disney twist where the two love interest in the movie are able to reunite and get married. In one of the creepiest moments where they have a picture of Liv Tyler's father, who is Bruce Willis, they have a picture of him at their wedding. It is like the dirtiest scowl you've ever seen pointed right at Ben (laughs) Affleck during the wedding. (laughs) As happy of a guy as Bruce Willis is, uh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They could have picked a uh, picture from like Die Hard or something, you know. I don't know what they were thinking. (laughs) He's crawling through that vent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Come to the I, coast. Have a few laughs. laughs. <laughs> uh, so the the last thing I was just going to throw in, I know it was a fairly popular movie overall, uh, it, even though it's a, not the greatest film in the world. Uh, it, it was pretty popular, but it is on Roger Ebert's most hated list of movies, which I think is a pretty big distinction in and of itself, because that means it's wow. got to be pretty bad to to make it on his list. Do you have and that list? And it was list? still the highest grossing movie of the year. 
98 was a 98 was a dark year for movies, I guess. I was going to ask you, Adam, if you had that list open in front of you right now. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up. Because I'd be I interested mean... in hearing what some of the other uh, candidates were. Is Richie Rich on it? Uh, <laughs> you know, it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, we, we will get to that. Uh, we will get to Richie Rich in a few minutes. Yeah, that uh, that movie was interesting. We'll say. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so Joe Dirt. What? Uh, yeah. That is an um, that is an American classic, sir. Well, that had uh, a meteor in it too, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, <laughs> no, it ended yes. up it ended up being a frozen chunk of poopy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was on there. North, uh, the the movie from when Elijah Wood was fairly young. He was still a child in that movie. Uh, apparently, that was on his most hated list. Uh, I, I, <laughs> uh, the hot chick is on there. Uh, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. It sounds uh, like he really doesn't like Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, Spice World, surprise, surprise. Adam Sandler's classic Waterboy. Really? Uh, oh, I thought that was yes. a great movie. Oh my gosh, Tommy Boy is on that list. Oh gosh, get out of here, get out of here. Know, so what right? you're saying is is Roger Ebert's most hated are most of my favorite movies. Yeah, no kidding. Anything okay, that seems now, to be like tangentially related to Saturday Night Live is kind of on that list. <laughs> it does seem like he doesn't like those people. Uh, here's one that makes complete sense. The awful and probably one of the worst superhero films ever made, Catwoman, starring Halle Berry, was on that oh. list. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I there, avoided it like the plague. Probably a good call. I actually uh, worked at a movie theater at the time, and one of my coworkers said he got paid extra to stay behind and watch the movie. Uh, <laughs> so he got paid extra to like because we always had to screen the movies the night before they were released to make sure there wasn't something wrong with the print. This was when you actually still had film that was delivered to the theaters instead of these digital movies that they have now and he said he was paid to be there fell asleep during the whole movie basically and still felt like he was ripped off by how bad it was (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so obviously that was uh high on the list um and then one other one i'll just mention uh on there was battlefield earth the the uh, john travolta yeah, wasn't it Ooh. an HP Lovecraft uh, book or something like that starring John Travolta? Oh, it was it was bad. Yeah, I, I actually yeah. remember seeing that. Um, <laughs> I remember being excited for it to come out because the trailer looked absolutely awesome. Oh and yeah, and just like being horribly disappointed. It kind of had like a Battlestar Galactica meets the Borg kind of look to it, and <laughs> yeah. uh, but the movie itself was absolute snot and boogers. So. Well, supposedly it has a lot to do with the Scientology religion, which I wasn't aware of until fairly recently. Hmm. That's nifty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the exact reaction I expected out of that. That's, that's nifty. Um. <laughs> Moving on. Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what happened after Home Alone with uh, Richie Rich? <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, the movie I got for this week's topic was... Richie Rich, which was uh, released in 1994, and it was directed by a guy named Donald Petrie. 
And it was a story that was actually based on a comic book called Richie Rich, so by the same name, uh, by Alfred Harvey and Warren Kramer. And so the, the story is essentially about a kid who lives a very extravagant lifestyle. His uh, family is the richest uh, family in the world, uh, and therefore he is the richest kid on the planet. Um, of course, this one starred Macaulay Culkin as Richie Rich. And then it also starred John Larroquette as the uh, main antagonist of the film, which his name was Lawrence Van Doe, which is interesting name choice. Uh, <laughs> Very and, 90s. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> uh, trying to you know have a play on their name by having like mean money and stuff like that. And then it also included Jonathan Hyde, who played the butler. Uh, you had Edward Herman, who played Macaulay Culkin's dad. Christine Ebersol, who was uh, Richie's mom, and then it had Chelsea Ross as the head of security for the family. Chelsea Ross was most known for uh, one of my favorite movies, or sports movies, I should say, uh, which was Major League. He played Ed Harris, the uh uh, aging pitcher uh, in that movie, (laughs) who liked to mess with, uh, oh gosh, what was it? Jobo, uh, he he was the one that took Jobo's room. Mm, so, yep. uh, yeah, <laughs> and then proceeded to get hit in the head with a baseball bat after that. <laughs> and then, actually, in kind of a cool little uh, thing, uh, Reggie Jackson actually made an that. appearance. Yeah, he's the baseball coach, the hitting coach. Yeah, yep, yep exactly. Uh, one, one of uh, one of Richie Rich's favorite pastimes was baseball, and so his hitting coach was Reggie Jackson. And then uh, he also had a workout with Claudia Schiffer. And then his economics teacher was the wonderful and, if not monotone, Ben Stein. Yes. Yeah. Um, I actually have a a fun story with Ben Stein, believe it or not. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Do tell. Yeah. um, I used to work at what they call a speakers bureau. And basically what they do is they... Uh, coordinate motivational and celebrities um, speaking schedules and engagements and stuff like that. And every year during the holidays, Ben Stein used to come in to the office in person and drop off a bottle of champagne to everyone in the office. And um, yeah, he um, came by my desk. I wasn't there. So he left a bottle of champagne and because I was in the bathroom. And as I was coming out of the bathroom, drying my hands (laughs) off, he was waiting for the elevator. He's like, oh, I didn't see you. Here, have a bottle of champagne. Happy holidays. And then he like leaves. So I get back and so I got two bottles of champagne. And anyone who like finds me uh, on my personal Facebook page, it's one of my uh, featured pictures is, is me meeting him. Uh, met a lot of really interesting people, but he probably had the most name cachet of, of famous people that I met. So. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and he's and, not nearly as monotone as I thought he was going to be, you know, after Richie Rich and Ferris, Ferris Bueller, Bueller. Uh, yeah. you know, when Ben Stein's money. Yeah, he, he's oh, great show. He's very monotone, but it's not like Bueller. It's more like Bueller, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was hoping you're going to say he sounded like Mike Tyson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he actually has a voice of the guy who played Iago on Aladdin. Oh, uh, Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Godfrey. Yeah. Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, he actually, that's actually his real voice is Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, that is an awesome story. I'm, I'm pretty uh, jealous that you got to meet Ben Stein because he seems like a pretty cool dude. But getting back to the topic at hand, which is uh, Richie Rich, 
Um, essentially, the plot of the movie is he is the wealthiest kid on Earth. Uh, they mention in the movie that he has an accumulated wealth of about $10 billion, while his parents have a total accrued wealth of about $70 billion. This is so, in 90s money, too. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So, uh, needless to say, they have a lot of pretty cool stuff in the house. They actually have, like, basically their own version of Q from the James Bond movies. Like, they have a guy whose sole responsibility is to go and invent cool stuff. Um, like, there's, <laughs> there's a 24-karat gold remote-controlled bee, which I, I don't know why it had to be a bee of all things, but... You know, I guess that was cool at the time. Well, I mean, the the bee helps out later in the movie. Um, that's true. Yeah, that's so true. So I remember that that yeah. first scene you get introduced with the bee. They let Richie take it for a test drive, and he like <laughs> flies it into the butler as yep. um I can't remember the inventor guy's name, the big fat guy with the beard, but yeah. um, he's like, oh, you know, it costs several million dollars just to develop this one bee, and then. Uh, <laughs> He hits the butler and like he smacks it with like a newspaper, just smushes the thing, and then uh, yeah. hilarity ensues, and the two of them chase each other around the laboratory near the end of the movie. Um, and we'll kind of talk about how we get to this point in a moment. But um, all the kids are locked up in this cage, and they're trying to save them. And long story short, the guy uses the bee to sting the bad guy in the butt, and he falls into the <laughs> button that stops the cage from moving and opens that up. But, uh, Such a convenient plot device. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, it was very reminiscent of like 70s Bond movies, like the yeah. Moonraker-esque style. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, essentially the story is that uh, you know, there's kind of two, I guess, plot lines. Uh, the the first and kind of the the heartwarming one is that Richie, you know, grows up with all this money, but the one thing he doesn't have is really good friends, and so he ends up uh, while he's at an engagement for his dad's company, uh, where they were going to save this uh, tool company. He sees some kids playing baseball, which again is his favorite sport. And so uh, he ends up trying to befriend them, and initially they're resistant because they think he's just some rich kid. Uh, but eventually he convinces the richest. Them... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but eventually he convinces them to come hang out at the house with them, and he shows them a really fun day. They play tag using uh, four wheelers. They have a kid cannon. Uh, they call it the kidapult. Uh, it's a. Uh, <laughs> it's basically a seat. That's on a rail, and then a new or uh, like a pneumatic arm shoots them off of the thing. Uh, so they play on that, and then uh, in kind of one of the more famous uh, pieces from it, they uh, actually ride his own roller coaster that's in his backyard. Yep. Uh, which which I actually found out something kind of interesting. Uh, the roller coaster that they used for his uh, roller coaster at his house was the Iron Wolf, which was at the Six Flags Great America in Prince George County, Maryland. Hey! Uh, so, fair, so fairly near where uh, our uh, friend Brian lives. Yeah, uh, I actually in work Maryland. in Prince George's County. So um, we actually, that. yeah, we actually did our Halloween party at Six Flags. It's a, it's a small world. Oh, nice. It's a small world. So, so I could be wrong, but it's got a new name now, right? Isn't it Armageddon now? Um, they, uh, they only allowed us to have a part of the park. So I've actually never oh, been there okay. other than for this party, just because, uh, 
the day of Halloween, they had already closed down for the season. So they, they let us use all the superhero rides. So I got to ride uh, the Batman, or it's, it's called Batwing, because it's, it's the one where you, like, you, you start off in a recliner, basically, facing backward, and then the seat reclines back. And the reason they do that is when you start going through the roller coaster, instead of being on your back with your head moving forward, you end up feeling like you're flying because your like face is towards the ground and your head's towards oh. the front of the it's it's really a, a crazy feeling and i would recommend using the restroom before you go because otherwise your whole <laughs> body weight is sitting on your bladder which is sitting on a a lap harness um but uh yeah we got to ride some of those rides and stuff like that it was really fun nice. but nice. um but yeah uh, I, I wanted to uh, to clarify Adam's remarks that everything we do here on this podcast is interesting. So it should be no surprise <laughs> that he found something interesting. Um, That's true. That's true. <laughs> but one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is the butlers talking about the menu for the day. You know, they're going to have this really fancy lunch. But Master Richie said that you guys wouldn't be interested in all this fancy French food. So he just opens these doors and there's just a McDonald's in his house. (laughs) (laughs) Complete with the golden arches. Got to have those right up front. Yep, yep. (laughs) Product placement at its finest. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that that scene, uh, I, I always did love that scene. When I saw it again yesterday, I'd completely forgotten about it. And it was like, uh, as soon as I saw that, I just started laughing because I was like, I I completely forgot about that scene, but I I loved it as a kid. Like, that's the dream when you're, what, we would have been eight years old when that came out. That's the dream right there, to have a McDonald's in your house. For sure. Plus, I bet Richie Rich can get a McRib and a Shamrock Shake during the same limited time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's the dream. (laughs) That's the dream. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the part about him trying to make friends or whatever, that's one of the uh, big storylines. But the other storyline is the uh, bad guy, played by John Larroquette, doesn't like... Uh, he's kind of the one who has to do the finances for uh, Richie's dad's company. And he doesn't like the fact that uh, the dad won't lay people off and won't do any of like these aggressive business tactics to lower the bottom line and uh, make the company profit more and stuff like that. So he decides that he's going to get rid of them and take over the company for himself. And so he uh, plants a bomb on their plane that uh, they're flying to go to lunch or something like that, brunch maybe with the queen of England. And so the the plane <laughs> as the you do plane, exactly, uh, but the plane ends up blowing up, but it doesn't get completely blown up because the dad uses one of his new inventions, which is a uh, basically a thing that it's a, like looks like a gun, but it has a nose on the front of it. You pull the trigger, and it will smell whatever is near you and tell you exactly what it is. And so he fi- uh, figures out before the bomb actually explodes that it's TNT and he throws it out of the window and it blows up the <laughs> the uh, one of the engines of the plane but does not blow up the entire plane. And so the parents survive and they're trying to get back to help Richie. Um, and so during that time, Richie takes over the uh, business, but then they try to figure out, you know, the Larry Kett's character tries to figure out a way to get rid of him and try to uh, get the control of the company for himself. And mm-hmm. so that's when you get to the scene where they're all in cages and stuff like that. 
Um, and then of course there's the happy ending at the end of the movie because it's a, you know, kids movie and you can't have anything creepy happen. You skipped over a big plot point, or I shouldn't say big plot point, but a thing I'd like to mention in that yeah. they have a secret lair inside of a Mount Rushmore-like yep. statue that contains all the faces of the Rich family. Yep, it's Mount Richmore. I was just going to say that, Mount Richmore. <laughs> Mount Richmore, yep. And uh, that is also the place where they uh, supposedly have their family vault, which Lara Kent's character is trying to get to. Because he thinks that's where all of their money is stored. And then he comes to find out that it's not money that's stored there, but their most valuable possessions. The the stuff of uh, when Richie was a kid and all of their like heartwarming memories. Because that oh. stuff is more valuable than any money could ever be worth. And there's a legitimate moment in which you can see the real depression in his eyes about that. Because he totally just wanted to pull a, a Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Oh yeah, just yeah. dive into that thing, and it wasn't going to happen. And I don't blame him. I would be severely disappointed if I thought I was about to have a Scrooge McDuck moment. Seriously, and that's really like the it, dream for everyone. Like seriously, the Scrooge McDuck diving into your vault—that would be. The the only problem though is doing the Scrooge McDuck would probably result in a pretty serious concussion because <laughs> a I serious don't think... loss of teeth. Because <laughs> <laughs> I. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think gold coins have the same properties as water. No, I could be not. wrong. But. Well, and if it did, it would probably be more like quicksand. You would probably have a much easier time going down through the coins than coming back up through the coins. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so one thing I thought was kind of interesting about this movie, of course, like I said before, Richie is supposed to be the richest uh, kid in the world with a uh, pretty big sum of money, about $10 billion in wealth. And they couldn't have cast this role any better, because at the time, Macaulay Culkin was the richest kid in the world. So he really was wow. essentially Richie Rich. That's yeah. pretty awesome. And he had that Home Alone money. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that um, John Hughes money. I <laughs> say, that Kevin McAllister's dad money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What did he do uh, to afford that house? I want to know. <laughs> like, and take the whole family on a trip to France for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, crazy. The The other interesting thing I was unaware of until I did some research on the movie, this was actually uh, Macaulay Culkin's last film that he did for well over a decade as he took a hiatus from acting, um, probably most likely due to the fact that they had some serious familial issues. His dad apparently was ripping off his money, and there was a huge court battle with uh, him and his family and oh, stuff wow. like that. So, yeah, so uh, this was actually the last film that he did as a child star, uh, which was kind of interesting because I always thought there was more after this, but apparently this was uh, the last one he did until almost two uh, you know the mid-2000s about the time we were graduating from high school he must have done a lot of movies then from like 1990 to 94 yeah yeah uh i mean if you think about it he did the home alone series he did uh my girl was Richie it good Rich. son was page good master son. one of his yeah page uh, master? I think yeah. so yeah i think so yeah so yeah, he had he had quite a few uh, credits just within the few years because Home Alone only came out in what ninety one ninety two ninety two yeah something like that yeah so he had a pretty good amount of credits for just a few years of of acting under his belt yeah that's true that's true so is there anything else that particularly stands out to you guys as uh, scenes that you enjoyed from this movie or any memories you have from this movie. 
Well, it's kind of a big car buff. I, I love the mm. Rolls Royce. That 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 is a beautiful, beautiful piece of British machinery right there. Um, Do you know what kind it was? Uh, was it a? Oh, uh, I'd have to look. I I, okay. I want to say it was a Silver Cloud. I'd I'd have to double check though. Nice. But, um, I, I was only asking because uh, one of the three of us, and I will not say who, but one of us has been in a car like that before, haven't they? Yeah, actually, um, that was our our wedding getaway car was a like a fifty five uh, Rolls Royce uh, Princess, I think limousine. It was, I think it was beautiful, pretty, pre- pretty amazing. I'm notorious for driving around like ritzy parts of town and taking pictures of strangers, Lamborghinis and stuff like that. Um, it's something I've been known to do, and so it was the first time I've ever been in a car where people were taking pictures of the car I was in. Uh, despite what my uh, profile says on our website, I don't actually drive a 65 Cobra, but uh, <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> Everyone has their dream, right? That's right. All right, uh, anything from you, uh, Paul, about the movie? Anything you uh, remembered or any memories of watching it? I remember loving it when it came out, but it's been so many years since I've actually watched it. It's kind of a fog, but it was definitely a big part of my childhood at that point in time because it was, you know, we were of the age that we were finally starting to go to the movies on a regular basis. Yeah. And Macaulay Culkin was huge at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really excited for it. But I mean, outside of what you guys have covered, I don't remember any particular moments well, Other than it, now I want a shamrock shake. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing about this movie for, you know, kids our age when this came out is, like, it, it was, like, the dream that you could possibly have. Like, he had everything and, uh, like, every toy imaginable, and he had a basketball court inside of his house and, yeah. like, all this amazing stuff. But And so, like, of course you were just enwrapped in that kind of thing uh, as a kid. Going back and rewatching it uh, after I found out that this was going to be my topic, I went back and rewatched it because I, um, you know, like Paul, I you know, I was kind of foggy on the details of it and stuff like that, and uh, it was pretty awful to rewatch. It, it had its moments, but it was pretty awful. In fact, um, I saw a thing online that said that Macaulay Culkin actually was nominated for Razzie for worst actor in a movie <laughs> for this film. Uh, but he lost out to, I believe it was Kevin Costner for Wyatt Earp. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I, I remember enjoying that movie, but apparently it wasn't too well liked. Well, one hmm. really good example of really bad acting in this movie was when the butler guy is in jail. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Richie comes in and he's dressed like, uh, you know, he's just a kid on the streets. And he he delivers a a card and toothpaste and he's he's got really sensitive teeth. Um, And the the prison guards reading the card like, well, what is it? What is this? I can't read this. Like, oh, it's Latin. He's like, oh, Latino. I thought he was English. Oh, okay. Uh, And so they give the stuff to the butler and. He finds out that the uh, toothpaste is actually some type of like corrosive thing, so it can help him break the bars in the jail and break out. But in the meantime, there's some thug that goes in to try and kill him, and he, as this weenie little butler, beats the crap out of this like thug guy. He's like, "Never mess with a man with sensitive teeth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then for no real discernible reason, 
he steals the other guy's clothes. So he, co- <laughs> he like, there, there's literally no reason. He's wearing his own clothes, I, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's wearing his own clothes when the fight happens. And yet, for some reason, when he climbs out of the prison, uh, the, the little jail cell window, he's now dressed in, like, black denim uh, oh, yeah. jeans. And he's like, like this... Carrie King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then he's got like a t-shirt with a vest, uh, like the leather vest on, and he's got like the skull cap. It's like, what was the point of that? <laughs> Isn't there like a call me Nash line or something like that? Yeah, too? I forget what he says, but there's something along those lines. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it for uh, our topic of Richie Rich, if nobody has anything else to say about the topic. I think that we've uh, we've reached that special time in our uh, podcast where we visit the hopper of imagination. Get to the hopper! Get down, get in the hopper! <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out what we will discuss next week. And uh, while we're queuing this up, we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear from us, you can submit those at www.datingourselvespodcast.com. And we have been getting several submissions, but we could definitely use a lot more. So if you have something you want us to hear us talk about, please, 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 please uh, go to datingourselvespodcast.com and submit those topics because we would love to talk about what you guys want to hear. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you, Adam. Uh, are you guys ready for uh, for this topic selection? Let's get to I'm the ready. hopper. All right, let's get in the hopper, man. So um, just as a quick reminder to folks, I'm going to pick four topics. We're going to talk about them one at a time. Um, I'm going to count to three, and we either get a choice to call dibs on that topic for our discussion for next week that we will lead, or we can all collectively decide to pass on that topic. So won't be picking any more than four topics, so hopefully they're good ones. Uh, the first one is... Golden Crisp, food, beverage, cereal. One, two, three. I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass as well. Um, I think I'm going to pass too. Okay, so of the next three topics that are drawn, all of them will have to be chosen by someone. Uh, So (laughs) the next topic is... Cedar Point Amusement Park. One, two, three. Not all at once. I'll take it. All right, Paul's got it. I'll take it. Paul's got Cedar Point. All right, next is TRL TV series. One, two, three. Dibs. All right, Adam, you got TRL. And last, whatever I'm going to have for better or for worse. (laughs) Patrick Ewing. Sugar smacks. Come on, sugar sugar smacks. smacks. It is it is food though. Uh Laffy Taffy. Food or beverage. One, two, three. I will take Laffy Taffy. I think this is the first time we will actually be talking about food. We passed over uh whatever it was, uh Lifesavers Lifesavers soda a couple weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and Golden Crisp too, obviously, just now. But yeah, that's our show, folks. We really appreciate you joining us here for dating ourselves. If you liked what you heard, there's always more to come. Check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show, and check out our Contact Us page if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send your submissions to datingourselvespodcast.aol.com. 
We've got mail. <laughs> it never gets old. It never. <laughs> Although we do. We, we continue to get older. Um, anyway. Every uh, day. You can also check out our stuff at Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Dating Ourselves Podcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us there as well at Dating Ourselves Podcast. And we can do the Twitter thing, too, at Dated Podcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, then you've just been dated. Bye, guys. Go f*** yourself, San Diego. (laughs) Get out of here. Goodbye.